Hello people, today's episode of I'll See You at Yours is brought to you by Dawson's Music Belfast. Dawson's is my favourite music shop in Belfast by far. It's wall-to-wall gear, electric guitars, acoustic guitars, keyboards, digital pianos, drums, pro audio equipment, you name it, they have it. Why I like this shop though is it's a local shop with very friendly extremely experienced staff made up of musicians and tech experts who are very willing to help you out no matter what level you're at but it's also still under the umbrella of the Dawson's chain and that means that their prices are as competitive as you'll see anywhere locally or online and they're really well situated just right at the bottom of Royal Avenue in Belfast city centre so whether you're a budding start musician or a pro, shout in and you'll get what you need in quality service and quality products. So many thanks to Dawson's Belfast for helping out with the show and I would not be endorsing or recommending them if I didn't think they were class. So get yourselves in there. Hello and thanks for listening to LC at Yours, a podcast from myself, Matt McGinn, as I travel the length and the breadth of Ireland, chatting to various people in the creative arts. Um, for the first while at least I'll be focusing on musicians and songwriters because that's what I know best, but we'll have to see where it all pans out from there. Before I tell you about my first guest, uh, let me ask you to show your support for the podcast by sharing it, subscribing it, uh, leaving a review, uh, preferably a good one, and if you'd like to go one step further, why don't you check out the website, mattbeginmusic.com. Um, you can buy CDs there. You can find out a show that's happening near you. Uh, there are some new shows just released in Newry, Port Rush, uh, the American Bar in Belfast. Um, some are in the rounds with friends from Nashville and England, and some are with the Kraken full band. So uh, check it out and fill your boots. So this week... I was chatting to an absolute gent and a wonderful talent on the Northern Irish music scene and that is Duke Special. I met Duke in his writing rooms in Belfast City Centre and we had a lovely chat about my about many random things like working with orchestras, um, valuing success, uh, lots of nice things. It was a lovely chat and it was lovely to, to catch up with the man. Um, at the start some of the audio sounds a little bit dodgy but that's because I was recording on my Zoom dictaphone while setting up the recording equipment. Um, so you know it's a little bit noisy but the crack was good so I just kept it in. Uh, in other words it starts out rough but it gets better so so just bear with it. So thanks so much. Um, if just enjoy the chat if you want to get in touch uh, do so at info at mattmcginmusic.com but for now let's kick it off you're listening to I'll See You at Yours podcast and this is Duke Special Finn musical to well Jimmy at the lyric has heard them and we've done a public reading but um, there's a guy from um, another company who might be a prospective partner uh, to be able to put it put on the production because it's um, 
you know, that the theatre is just expensive to put on and it could be maybe eight, eight in the cast plus three or four musicians. Yeah. So the Lyric needs a partner, business partner to kind of come alongside them. So it's it's kind of a wee bit of a, a, a big deal because um, depending on how this goes today, we'll... This interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all hinging at this moment. Oh god! So that's today, and then I'm working on a another musical for uh, Galway Arts Festival. Fantastic! Um, a musical they've they've come to you and asked you to to put together something, or yeah, well, it's on a production theme. company. Um, the partnership between Galway Arts and this other company. Um, it's based on Pat McCabe's book, Breakfast on Pluto. He wrote Butcher Boy. And I thought there was a film made of that. There was, was, yeah, yeah. Killian Murphy was in it. So it's based on that. Um, so the songs are uh, all kinds of weird and wonderful. Uh, uh, the last one I wrote was um, about being an IRA showgirl. Uh, so it, it's set in the 70s, but um, looks at uh, issues such as transgender, um, Growing yeah. up in a border town, because IRA um, showgirl wouldn't really wouldn't really come up in many sentences. No, 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 no. And, and I mean, my next single will be a bit controversial, but <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, if you can write about um, uh, presidential elephants, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know what? The, um, it's only after you do things like that there that you sort of go. It's like I had the whole. Um, I'm never going to get into America. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Never thought of that. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe with the likes of the Trump song, it would be uh, just getting the right security guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you no know, immigration person. Did a thing there recently for those St Patrick's Day sort of concert in Newry. It was a very orchestral concert. Uh, I love arranging. I always wanted to arrange some of my songs for an orchestra. Yeah. So I jumped at the chance. But the thing is, like once you're sort of surrounded by strings, and then behind that there's a piano, and then behind that there's horns and all that, and the very back there's drums. Yeah. That's one of the things I noticed straight away. It was like whenever I listen to your stuff, the drummer has to rule the roost there. Like you know, he has yeah. to. He has to be like this foundation because everything else is just going to... It's almost like the further back you go, everything gets slower and away yeah. behind sort of thing. Well, with, with, with orchestras, with a conductor, it's weird because it's almost like like the, the orchestra follows the conductor, not the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> and it it's not like... It's, it's not like his hand coming down is is uh, as precise a thing yeah. as a drummer hitting a snare drum so even if you're following the conductor it's almost like a crew like a ship you know a massive ship kind of following the little rudder it kind of t it's not as precise mm -hmm. as a metronome so is he coming before them generally or S sometimes um, sometimes or yeah I think it would be before and then, then they kind of are pretty much there and it sounds together Mm -hmm. And it works, but what I found didn't work was having a drummer who's used to people following them playing with a conductor. So what what I had to do from then on was I got a drummer in who knew how to play rock and roll, but also knew how to read charts. And we scored 
the drums, you know, like a drum part, mm -hmm. um, and then tip moved to percussion, and he was, he was a lot of freedom, you know, to do that, which was it was less kind of leading it, yeah, and more embellishing, um, and then the drummer had to straddle his instinct of leading it, but also had the experience of working with the conductor. That that was the way around it, and that that seemed to work really well. Mm. So you had the, maybe a strong backbeat at times, but other times sitting out and the, the orchestra leading it, and then scoring things for percussion as well. But it, it, it's and who it's are you following then at that stage? That once everything's sort of working, are you you're sort of then between two worlds as well? Are you? You're yeah, you're, you're kind of. I'm watching cues for the conductor, but. At, times and I, Michael Keeney had scored it for me so he obviously understands both worlds so he was able to create space for maybe the piano then to feature a little bit and where I'm leading it mm -hmm. um, but it's like playing with a string quartet as you know it, it, you're, you're, it's a feel kind of thing and you're, and you're listening as opposed to really regimented yeah. uh, as it would be with a you know rhythm section Because I'd done all the the pianos and stuff and everything up in your place, and then um, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. So what year? What year that be? Two thousand and that's a long time. Five ago. maybe or six. Uh, before six, I think. Classly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm slightly embarrassed about any anything I did in that, in that studio. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we did our our first uh, couple of EPs there, and Paul Pilot came and recorded, and uh, it was like on an absolute g-string. So. I think it was the the second EP particularly was was for like a grand or two grand I think we did did the whole thing for and uh, involved Chip like throwing himself into against a wardrobe I think I think he <laughs> tripped against it and I was like oh that's an interesting sound Chip could you could you do that again so uh, he ended up like flinging himself at this wardrobe that happened to be in the room like ten times <laughs> until he got the, the best take <laughs> is that on a song yeah 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 what song is that. Um, I think it was um, some things make your soul feel clean. I think it might have been that on the yeah on the second EP. So uh, and you can distinctly hear the. <laughs> <laughs> So you took those two EPs and joined them together, pretty much for the yeah yeah it was, it was kind of a it was definitely an evolving thing because like the first one no idea what was gonna gonna happen in fact it was just some demos that originally we were gonna send to record companies and and then I'd been so browned off up to that point with previous bands you know where you send stuff off and and it doesn't go anywhere 
so kind of made a conscious choice of right you know i'm actually just going to press it press this up as an ep um not send it to anybody and just go out and tour and see what happens and then it was just years of um several years of just touring everywhere constantly and flogging that ep um after gigs which was payment most most of the time because you know doing supports it's not a lucrative thing <laughs> i'm particularly playing supports to people in small venues <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's nothing in it so that was kind of um yeah just getting out and playing and it, which i really uh, see the value in that you know almost like a it, it was definitely like an apprenticeship or serving your time kind of thing of and there was no Facebook, there was no yeah. uh, YouTube at it that might point. Have been MySpace was it? MySpace was yeah, but there were, there was no kind of way of people weren't recording you at gigs and putting it up online. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was definitely uh, you were able to experiment, make mistakes, and and kind of cut your teeth. Yeah. So I mean, like, uh, but then whenever you say you see the value of it now as an apprenticeship, but it, but yet the people that you probably we're playing to those at that stage. Yeah, are probably the main crux of your. I mean, they're still with you. Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure. Are they? Some, yeah, sure. Um, I think that some would be, um, and they're probably more grounded than people who have just sort of come across one song on Facebook or YouTube or something. Maybe with Well, I mean, uh, some were definitely happened to just be sitting in a bar when I was playing. So I'm not even sure if maybe some of those people would be. Um, interested in following someone's career you know they're, they're just there for whatever happens to be playing that night yeah um and, but yeah definitely it, it feels now almost like you go through phases of kind of you know peaks and troughs and kind of um you know maybe we're uh, like i was playing bigger gigs to, uh, maybe supporting other acts or you something on the radio or tv or something then you, you would get a, a much wider kind of selection of people who would come to your, your shows and then some of them would stay with you for a number of years and then you know I think life happens for for everyone and, and you kind of maybe mm-hmm. they lose track of you or, or something else comes along so um, yeah but I, I think I've definitely been lucky that I think the amount of touring that I did early on exposed me to enough people that now I can release a record and you know, there, there's some people, you know, who are going to get it. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not, you know, um, I mean, you know, combine that with, you know, the decline of, of physical mm-hmm. sales of music um, is not something well, you, would, not you would live on. I mean, physical sales, yes, but I remember whenever I put out the first album, which was maybe, I don't know, 2007 or eight. And at that stage, I was looking at the iTunes reports, mm-hmm. and I was thinking to myself, "Going, God, if those people bought albums, like an actual physical copy of me, that yeah. would have been a lot more lucrative." And now yeah. I'm looking at it, going, "If all those people who streamed that, you know, on Spotify or whatever, had actually bought that in iTunes, you know, I'd be a lot yeah. better off." Yeah. So yeah. I mean, like uh, the iTunes thing that we sort of would have been cursing at the time, I would be happy with that now. Even. Yeah, I know it's. It's frustrating that sometimes it feels like you're you're fighting for crumbs, yeah. you know, of what is actually is actually being generated. It's interesting. I saw the, I know we're all sick of articles, but um, Article Thirteen is it? Um, oh, that sort of article. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
has just um, been passed in, in Europe, which... Oh, yeah, the um, copyright one? Yeah, the copyright so one. So what does which, that mean? I don't really understand that. Don't quite understand it myself, but it... it, it <laughs> You're not allowed to bring up things we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can, can we gently skirt around them? We can, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was at a con- music conference recently organised by um, somebody, Mark Gordon, from Score Draw Music, um, and there's a guy... Uh, he's the head of Basca, the uh, authors and songwriters copyright kind of thing. And he was uh, talking about Article 13 how a really good thing it is because uh, it, it ensures that people like YouTube will uh, get permission or p- uh, pay royalties to content providers as opposed to anyone like you couldn't, if this is ratified, you wouldn't be able to put up my song. Yeah and go oh check this out or something um i'd have to put it up and you know with with some sort of contract and they would have to pay me for it uh for the number of views is my understanding so i think it tightens up the use of uh creative content on online uh, but no matter i've i've no idea um in terms of how how all that will work out and um i i don't feel like i'm one of the trailblazers in terms of you know capitalizing on new technology i I kind of i i feel like i want to just write and but but you are i mean you would have been a trailblazer in a certain way of like you're you're east belfast are you yeah i'm now are you you are now yeah where are you from originally i lived all over down patrick right um it's kind of i lived from seven to fifteen in down patrick and then hollywood and cool rain before that, and so all over. Yeah. Right, I always just would have. I don't, maybe it's, I don't know if it's just because of the sort of the cultural connection between the sort of the Van Morrison and yeah. Well, I just would have always assumed that you were sort of Last, East Belfast, like no, that. actually, Muller from Rathfarland. Right. So I think uh, he's home now before. Yeah, yeah. maybe. So um, huh. that feels like the homeland a little bit. So not mm-hmm. not far from yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's mad. Well, I mean, I mean, for for a Ruth Freiland person, you're certainly a trailblazer. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't describe myself as a Ruth Freiland person, though. But <laughs> slumped upon a concrete floor, clinging on to life. I remember something once I might have heard. It was stolen from the cradle by a bird. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think there's there's always with recording there's always a balance between performance and your ability with the technology. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing is definitely working with really good engineers or producers where I'm able to completely focus on the performance and on on the the content on the words and the and the melodies and tweaking things and thinking about arrangements. Um, Recently, uh, by necessity, I've, I've been demoing a lot and it's so painful, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, having to, you know, like, I'm, we're in my little writing room at the minute and this is where I re- record, like, all the demos and, like, my favourite thing is actually just to record directly on my phone as a, uh, you know, as a reminder of what I'm writing and I tend to find if it, if it sounds okay in that, it's going to sound really good in the studio. Um, but the temptation with you know um, multi-tracking is yeah. you can you know polish polish the turd, yeah. <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> or, or you, you might be able to polish it, but um, you can roll it in glitter, as the saying goes. Yeah. Um, 
but it, I mean, it, it is really useful thing and, and to be able to record kind of simple things. And, um, but there is something about if you can do a good performance and also you've got someone at the, at the helm who, who knows how to capture that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the perfect thing, you know. Well, a lot of, I mean, especially, uh, but uh, for the machines. Oh, lookout machines. Lookout machines. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was. I mean, it, whoever captured it mm. did such a, a, a class job of capturing, capturing the energy, but yet doing it in such a, like a real, just a focused way that everything, you know, it it uh, just the balance of everything's incredible, and yet everything can be heard and. It, but yet that energy's still there. Yeah, that, that, that was a really interesting record to make because I did that with actually with Phil Wilkinson um, from Chlorine. He's um, a really fantastic drummer, but also a really, really good songwriter and um, an increasingly so producer. Um, but his, his way of working was very much in the box. So mm -hmm. um, we'd be writing, he, he'd maybe get a little drum pattern going on the computer and you know, using synthetic sounds and maybe bass lines and even string parts and things, um, which um, kind of sketched out the structure and a, and a vague arrangement. Um, and I recorded like a vocal into the computer, you know, just in a, a member in his house in London. It was just like a little room like this with washing hanging up behind me as it was singing. Mm -hmm. But we ended up using a number of the, you know, the vocals as as you do. You kind of learn. You, you begin to. I really like that vocal or, or that weird sound that, you know, that's come from nothing really. Uh, so we ended up keeping a lot of that. But um, yeah, he he was really good at just getting lots of syncopated lines that went with the 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 drums. And in the final, when we went to like a bigger studio to um, record other parts, it was more embellishing what was already started. So. That that was a different way than other records have done, which is musicians in a room, yeah. And maybe you know where you start with a rhythm section and track it up from there. This was definitely more a kind of um, electronic kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I love that um, point in the process where you've got a bunch of songs and you've maybe got a few quid together to to think, okay, I can now start recording this, but that bit where you go, okay, how are we going to dress this? Mm -hmm. how, what clothes are we going to put on the songs? And I, I love, I absolutely love that alchemy in the studio where um, things happen, you know, and, and maybe someone plays a bit and you say, oh, keep, keep that bit, and, and then that becomes a bit that you build everything else around. No cover up, just wreck and of the person Like working maybe with classical players, generally maybe find a classical player who is flexible, is flexible and can improvise on the spot. And, and uh, we've done both. Um, I mean, players like um, Ben Castle, for example, yeah. who is virtuosic and is on the instruments, saxophone, and flute, and clarinet, and bass clarinet, you name it. Um, so he, he can certainly read, and it, even if um, if you say, oh, I've Oh, what about something like this? And you hum the line, he'll he'll quickly mm -hmm. chart that, so he has that to hand. Um, but you can push him and say, "Oh, can you maybe let's do four or five passes of a track?" And he'll give you a number of options, which is just you know amazing. <laughs> um, and then you can edit stuff that you want to keep. Um, but we've also done things, you know, with recorded orchestras or quartets, where um, it's 
it's kind of more the icing on the cake, you know, where it's okay, the, the basis of the track is there, and then you have a quartet come in and play something that you want them to play. Um, so both have done, but I do especially like um, maybe working with players who are really, really good in their instruments and can give you a, a number of options and then you go, oh, that one, that one, <laughs> do, do that again. <laughs> I, th I think everyone's different and um, I, I would have some maybe clear ideas of of what I want something to sound like, but I think the, the point of choosing particular musicians is that you're asking them, I, I think there's, there's something more exciting about saying, okay, I'm thinking this kind of thing and they go like this and you kind of go, no, not, but I really like what you just did there. So they maybe wouldn't have played what they played unless you had an idea to begin mm -hmm. with. But I, I love I love giving people the freedom to experiment and, and come up with something better, you know, because they're, they're really good on that instrument, you know. But I mean, that's, that's, that's you sort of, you, you walking into the room knowing that there is going to be flexibility. It's like, you know, they have to see that in you, you have to see that in them. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there, there's a danger in that as well because yeah. it, it, it might go crap yeah <laughs> but i mean you must know this from from recording it's like there's never a time I, I i can't think where there wasn't that scary thrill of this might be nothing but then at the end of the day you have something that is something yeah that, that didn't exist before and, and that that's just the most amazing feeling i mean it's the same with writing a song yeah um although i find that even more painful um, because it's it's more solitary, uh, or even if it's collaborative, it, oh this could work. Or you know you've done co-writes and and it's that it's a weird feeling because you're you're kind of going, I have nothing might come out here, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's a, there's I, no guarantees. I generally would put like a wee asterisk and, or something and say like if the worst that happens is that we have an afternoon drinking tea and having cry, yeah. then that's that's okay, Amelia. Really. Yeah, yeah. But and, uh, I think I think it's about. I think I think you could apply that to any creative process. It's a light-handedness almost required, where but a determination at the same time. Where I am going to put myself through this, but I'm going to hold this whole process lightly, because I, I think otherwise it doesn't work. You know, you need to have that room for people to make mistakes mm -hmm. and and to completely go down the wrong cul-de-sac, but. Um, then you close the door on that bit and you go, okay, it's not that. Where where is it? Where where is the thing that we're looking for? Um, and I think that's really exciting and traumatic, but it, it's what gets you up in the morning. I think you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it, that's the thing. Like, you come down here pretty much. I don't know what nine to five every day. Well, as as often as I can. It's not and a, open an empty page, and and it definitely does take the, some sort of motivation. But it's it's more than motivation because motivation generally has an end result. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to go for a walk because it's good for me or I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, you always sort of, from a very early stage, I think, were able to, to take this as, this is what I do and I'm gonna, this is my business and it's, it's always been very professional. Would that be right? I think early on it was, I, I was determined that uh, there was something inside that I hadn't let out that, um... Because I, I I played in a band when I was like 18, 19 in England for a couple of years and then felt guilty and, and came back and went to university. to Why do you feel guilty? But I was liking it too much, uh. you know, it was the, this can't be a proper job. I, didn't, I, I knew very few people who did music um, as a career. 
Um, so thought, oh, you know, this is kind of um, self-indulgent or something. And, and I came back and went to uni to do community work, actually. And uh, Was that almost your penance then, doing the community work well, for it, two it, years in the road? It, it was, it was <laughs> something that was interesting, in, but um, I, I quickly realised, Flip, that's, that's a re- it's a real vocation to do that. And there was something unresolved or something that I, I hadn't acknowledged or, or accepted that actually the thing that makes me feel most alive is writing and, and performing that that's that's what I that's what, yeah I, I just get so much from that um so I and I but I had no I'm awful with business mm-hmm. actually I'm I'm not um, I've never been motivated by finances uh, to the detriment of maybe those around me sometimes you know <laughs> for years I would have just gone and played anywhere for for nothing, you know, and, and um, maybe not put enough value in what I, what I was doing, but I was learning, you know, and I think the early records were all stuff that was going on inside me that I was uh, were coming out in songs. So there was definitely a huge amount of like therapy or kind of uh, honesty going on in songs that um, that was like a necessity. Um, I think in the probably the last eight, nine years, um, what I've done a lot more is write about other things. Um, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I go through phases of, excuse me, of, of writing songs from inside, you know, that, that are about, you know, your own experiences or your thoughts or, um, you know, whatever. Um, and then um, it was through doing the, the first kind of, theatre thing I did um, in 2009 where I had to take existing words and set them to music and somehow own it um, that that was a massive kind of light going on for me where suddenly you're like, hey, you can actually write about anything it, it, you don't have to have mm-hmm. gone through it or um, and that was that was an incredible experience because um, it's very exhausting I find writing about your own yeah. shit yeah. <laughs> And especially whenever you, you know, you are slightly introverted, like you know, I mean, you know, not I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about myself. Or most, most, you know, people who do stand up on the stage are generally sort of introverted. And you sort of go, does it really have to be with me all the time? Yeah, <laughs> and it does feel a bit vulgar yeah. sometimes to go, oh, here's another song about something that happened to me. But also, it doesn't. It it feels sometimes too objective or distanced to to write in the third person, you know, about about someone else. Yeah. So what, what I've really enjoyed in recent times is like almost character writing where you're writing in character from someone else's point of view about something that happened to them, mm-hmm. but writing in the first person. Mm-hmm. So then you're, there's all kinds of empathy going on and um, you're learning about, you, you know, you're having to read a lot or... or imagine uh what that person was going through or um 
you know, I guess like an actor would taking on a role, but in the same way I find an act, the way an actor is able to act is because they, something resonates with them that they can relate to and they're able to express that emotion or that character because of something in them. And I, I find it exactly the same in, in songwriting or, or in uh, performing a song. It's the same, you know, from if you do a cover, the only way you can sing that is if you mean it, you know, or if you inhabit that in some way, and then then it comes across like like it's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've discovered that part of songwriting maybe in the last decade, where it's possible to write about stuff that you didn't have to go through yourself, which is yeah. really a much uh, healthier way of exploring. I mean, kinds in the of same life. way, I, I would have got that whenever I started co-writing in one way I sort of had that nice relief of the fact that it doesn't have to be with me or even the fact that you know maybe uh, maybe whenever I go and show this song to somebody straight away they're not going oh that's you're going through something really difficult yeah. there because I wrote it with somebody so now we're almost sharing the, the burden of that you know yeah. and but also the fact that once I would have written a lot of those sort of songs that we co-written they would have sat on the shelf for maybe a month and I may have played the odd one out because the, the generally would have been sort of nice melodic sort of pieces and then after a bit of playing them I'm going, I was going that's more of me than I would have realised when, I, when I'd written yeah. it and if I'd actually realised that when I was writing it I probably wouldn't have written it Yeah, you know I would have scared away from it Yeah, um, I, I don't think you can help yourself coming through Yeah, um, and there's a <laughs> there's a reason that you have written with that person you know there, there's something that struck a chord there's uh, a reason that you chose to write about a particular theme with that person yeah. you know or that you accepted okay yeah let's go with that 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 the other person suggested because you can imagine having something to say about it I think you know um, so uh, yeah there, I think there's all kinds of psychology going on under under the surface that we don't know about um, in terms of uh, you would have kicked off with say the two EPs at around about say 2006 2007 Actually, it was earlier. Yeah, it was two thousand and two. Was the first one. Uh, yeah, then two thousand and three, and then it did a third EP, which was two thousand and five. And in the meantime, we'd put the first two together and released that, and that was about two thousand and five. Yeah. And then the first kind of full album came out in two thousand and six. And what stage then were you signed up? Two thousand and six. Two thousand and six. Yeah. That was to V two. Yeah, that was V two, and those songs from the forest, and but it was. I mean, it's. I think in hindsight, like it was incredibly lucky timing, and because it was right at the, it was the kind of tail end of labels and taking a chance on you. Yeah. Um. So, and I, I didn't really have a clue what was happening. Um. In a lot of ways. Um. So it yeah it was just okay we're going to make an album now and then we started making the album and then started actually my manager started shopping it around to people and um you know things had kind of grown people more people were coming to, to gigs and um tours were getting longer and you know the support slots were getting with you know people with bigger profiles uh so the media kind of began to you know you started getting wee mentions and things and um, so the, there was a bit of a buzz, I suppose, um, but you're kind of oblivious. You, you're just cracking on with it, and I think I think it was just on. I was definitely a bit obsessed and kind of driven, um, 
and yeah, not necessarily in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, but it, it was kind of, yeah, I was just determined to to kind of do something, and yeah, and then that, that record came out in two thousand six. Because it seemed it seemed almost that, like I don't know if it was luck or or skill. You seemed to have that sort of that sort of really fine balance between something that was very unique, but something that lent itself really well to the mainstream or like Radio yeah. 1 sort of style or, or you know I mean, was, that, was, that, was that intentional or how much of that balance was just completely uh, organic the only the only point where we had to think about radio was the old um, okay what are going to be what are the singles going to be <laughs> and uh, you know the record company saying oh we need to what about this pre- person mixing it you know with a view of mm-hmm. getting something on the radio and that that was really it felt painful <laughs> and we ended up using the uh, tracks that um, Dave Lynch who I'd, I've worked with for many years uh, he's based down in Eastbourne and uh, but he, at that point he wouldn't have been seen as an, you know, a big name mixer so I think I think there's a fear in record labels actually you know of, of going with something that isn't tried and tested and I really hate that thing of you know if we put a wee extra beat, you know, uh, or like a drum machine or something, and I'm resisted um, for the most part actually. Um, and then it was just a case of, I think what I've written is tends to be quite melodic, and um, you know with chorus certainly in the past with choruses that lift. But mm-hmm. I mean I I couldn't just sit down and write another bunch of songs that tick those boxes I, I think there's something in me that re- really resists that and also is probably lucky that, it, that it, I happened to write something at that time that yeah. coincided with that um, but I th- I'm more interested probably in, in doing things that are off the beaten track now um, that I find that much more interesting in saying that if, if there was something that got played loads on the radio I, I can see how that's really really helpful to the rest of what you do yeah. and you can you know it opens doors and, and creates opportunities that you then can exploit you know to to do these other projects um, but I, I don't really want to chase that I want to you know and I also don't really want to tear anymore so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean that that could all come back. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I love I love seeing the likes of uh, like I had three very young kids in the house, and uh, and I'm finding myself going through a very sort of creative couple of years, which is class. But everything's sort of against you, touring wise, you know, in terms of just juggling family life and, yeah. and finances and stuff like that. But yeah. then I look to the likes of uh, say Colm Sands, yeah, who seems to be now going like he Colm must be maybe sixty five or so. And he's just going through this like incredible sort of rejuvenation of, of now now the kids are up and grown yeah. and he's got these sort of fan bases here and there that he's like hitting Australia he's hitting you know Asia you know it's it's um, to to me that's inspiring like you know it's like don't don't be sort of sweating the small stuff and it yeah. seems to be that you don't really sweat sweat the small stuff you just sort of I think it it <clears throat> it's that um, probably a conversation with yourself that that every creative person has about what success is hmm. and you know the the difference between fame and success and trusting your own you know having to growing to the point where it's you're you're pleasing yourself in terms of the what you're creating you know you're not doing it for anyone else you're not i mean it's it's a 
always a balance, isn't it? You know, with with um, the validation of other people, yeah. <laughs> and you know, particularly your peers in terms of other creative people, is is a really um, it can be a very positive thing or a very crushing thing if it doesn't if it isn't there. Um, but it, I, I think it's there's a maturity. I think it's an age thing, partly where you get to the point where you just go, actually, I, I don't. I don't care what anyone <laughs> thinks. I, I'm, I like this, and that's why I'm doing it. And <clears throat> you kind of trust there's other people out there somewhere who 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 will like it too. And that something happens like physically whenever whenever that realization ha- comes that that you really don't care. Yeah, and I, I think a freedom then to to yeah. create, you know, um, something that that's more daring perhaps, and you know less less inclined to compromise. I think for my for my last album. One of the one of the freedoms really came from the fact that I, I my name Matt McGinn is associated with uh, a Scottish folk singer Matt McGinn who died in the seventies. So it's like there's this constant sort of mix, uh, you know, mix up on whether it's Google, Spotify, whatever it is. It, those songs almost came out of the fact that I thought to myself, you know what, frigate, I'm gonna get a new name. I'm gonna go under a different persona. And as soon as I did that, all of a sudden these sort of songs started coming out. That it's almost like the filter was off, you know, the the, the Matt McGinn from Hilltown filter yeah. had been removed. So I mean, what 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 stage did that happen with between Peter and Duke? I I think that happened really early on for me because I've been playing in other bands and and um, I I think the the name was was all about that. It was about I did not want to be Peter Wilson. I I wanted to be this stage. When I went on stage, I, I wanted to be someone else, um, and that, um, which accounted for uh, like everything from fifteen years of wearing eyeliner nonstop to <laughs> to putting on particular clothes for going on stage. That that was that's what that was about. In hindsight, um, it was about shedding the 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 everyday person and becoming this artist, I guess. Um, Again, in hindsight, I realize um, that went too far. Where I, you know, I inhabited that world twenty four seven almost. You know, um, and I think the last few years have been about remembering um, my everyday person. You know, and actually has been so the best thing ever for me because, yeah, I, I just feel. Um, a lot better inside you know I, I feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin and again I, I, I think maybe from the outside people have seen me retreating from that um, from Duke special and that's been a very deliberate thing um, and I, I'm kind of I'm learning to get the balance now so that when I am doing the creative thing on, under that name that I can really throw everything at it mm-hmm. But but still retain, um, you know the the kind of uh, just being human being. <laughs> yeah, because I suppose as you say, you originally sort of donned the title to sort of for the freedom of it, and after a while, then it's it it slowly you know ends up trapping you. Yeah, and, and yeah. then the freedom is actually being able to go back to Peter Wilson. And yeah, yeah, it's and I I think I think now it's really exciting for me the the idea of. Okay, I can choose to do that, but I I don't have to do it all the time. And 
that's yeah i definitely feel a million times better for it you know <laughs> see the likes of whenever i mean one of the one of the, the things i always wondered of recent now that whenever you sort of start to think about things and try and empathize and stuff with people like i mean at the time say whenever whenever the label and then yeah. all of a sudden that was sort of swept from under your feet yeah uh, once they sort of was it like they changed sort of companies or whatever it was yeah so i mean like i mean everybody you know as you know the sort of nice close sort of uh, musical scene in belfast or whatever like we always would have been almost saying straight off like this happened duke but it's no big thing because he like, he knows how good he is he knows how hard he's worked and stuff is that it's almost like he'll be grand but is that a very naive or, i mean was that was it a tougher thing than i, th- I th- yeah the so the the next record came out on universal because uh, they'd bought over v2 and it was during that then that i did the play in london um which was like a complete massive for me and for the label uh, change of direction because I was committing to six months of doing this play, um, so it almost I I didn't miss the. It felt like this was a great opportunity, and it was during that that I was dropped by Universal. So, yeah. um, but I I'd, suddenly this other world had already opened up um, that I didn't know existed, or that I would be any kind of good at or whatever, and so it it, it was. There was something else almost taking the place of, of what had gone before, and but it was that that cycle of okay, you write an album's worth, you record it, you tour it, then you do that again and you do that again. Suddenly it was like this: the idea that you could actually write for a different thing completely, and that would have a life of its own, um, was really eye-opening for me. Um, I mean, it took it's taken a few years for that to really filtering. But that, that kind of changed everything. Where I remember sitting down with the A&R guy from V2 uh, who'd signed me, and I, I will always appreciate the fact that he did that. Um, but I remember um, him saying, okay, we're gonna need to re-release Freewheel again. Um, and we're gonna, would you mind asking some well-known people to sing on it? That, you know, cause, and I said, oh, I really, really don't wanna do that. And he said, but this could be your last chance. <laughs> and uh, you know, as in you're not getting any younger, and oh. you know that, that this doesn't last forever, and and um, that that says everything you need to know about that industry. Mm-hmm. You know where where it's you have a, a finite shelf life, and you know it's complete opposite of what you were saying about Calm Sands. You know where, where it's it, you know it's it's quite an ageist thing. It's a, a you know a fleeting thing that's more to do with fame or or that. Yeah. But what I, what I love about things like the art world, visual art or, or literature, things like that is, um, or like any trade, you know, you, you become better at it mm-hmm. uh, as you as the more you do it, and you know the nuances, the the kind of layers of what the enriching that you you absorb from life, from other art forms, from 
family, from friends, everything feeds into your artistry and I, I want to be part of that. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm looking forward to, to kind of uh, creating and, and doing that. I want to keep creating till the day I die, you know, but, yeah. but that, that world of, of kind of popular culture, uh, you know, I can take, definitely take or leave, you know, because it, it's, like I said, you can see the benefits of, you know, having a little burst with, with that maybe enabled me to do some other things, but I definitely don't, don't care for that world. And that is it. Thank you so much to Duke Special, a.k.a. Peter Wilson, for joining me on my very first instalment of I'll See You at Yours. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, like and subscribe, and uh, there will be another one out very soon, so you don't want to miss it. It is an incredible conversation I had with a wonderful um, Belfast talent. Uh, her name is Ursula Burns, and uh, she has got some story to tell. So uh, check it out the next time, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.